Thanks for tuning in to Mountain View Fellowship's weekly podcast. At MVF, our mandate is pointing people to Jesus by fostering relationships. We know Jesus cared for people and placed a lot of emphasis on relationships. So we do too. We believe that we're created for relationship with God and that He gave each one of us a desire to belong. If you'd like more information about MVF, connect with us at mvfcolorado.com. Now, stay tuned for this week's message. Today we're continuing with our series entitled 10. We're, we've been working our way through the 10 commandments and uh, what we found out in that first week was that the Ten Commandments were not given to us to burden us, but they were given, a, given to us as guardrails to protect us and to protect the people around us. Today, uh, we're talking about the Seventh Commandment. And so if you would, go ahead and flip over to Exodus chapter 20. Go to verse 14. Exodus 20, chapter, uh, verse 14. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We've got guys coming up and down the aisle. They'll hand you one. It is our gift to you. We just want you digging into the Scriptures with us this morning. Uh, let me ask a question as we get going this morning. Have you ever been misunderstood? Have you ever said something and had somebody misunderstand what you were saying? Uh, better yet, let me ask it this way. Have you ever misunderstood what she meant by what she said? You got it? Okay, some of the guys would get that. Here's, a, here's just a test for you. If you, if you think that maybe you've get, you got this right, you don't have any problems uh, misunderstanding your wife. Here's just a few tests uh, for you. First of all, if your wife says to you, seriously, uh, do you think that she really means seriously? Uh, actually, I don't believe so. If you hear your wife say seriously, you better watch out because she's giving you a, a chance to rethink what you just said. That's what seriously means. Uh, if you were to ask her, hey, baby, what's wrong? And she says nothing. Uh, do you really think that she means nothing? Uh, no, I, I don't think so. Actually, nothing always means something, and you need to be worried. So watch out, guys. Just good advice for you. Pay attention. You don't want to misunderstand these. Uh, if, you, if you actually say, hey, baby, I'm thinking about taking a weekend with the guys. We're, we're thinking about going to Vegas and hanging out, and, and while you're selling this pitch to her, she says something like this, um, go ahead. Do you think that she's telling you, like, it's just fine, go off with the guys, it's not a problem? Actually, no. Uh, this is a dare. It is not permission, guys, all right? Uh, she's just thinking about what, about when and how you'll pay if you go. Uh, so uh, another one for you is if your wife actually says to you, wow, like, wow. Uh, do you think she's like amazed, astonished at how awesome you are? Not really. <laughs> actually, this is not a compliment. She's amazed that one person could be so dumb. Now, uh, ladies, I don't want to let you off the hook, okay, because this goes both directions. Uh, if your husband comes to you tonight and he says something like this, uh, hey, uh, want to go to bed? Uh, ladies, this is just a hint, okay? He doesn't really want to go to bed, okay? So uh, it's a hint. This might not mean I'm tired. I'm just going to leave that right there, okay? You can, you can take from it whatever you want. Uh, now, I know many of us, we understand what it means to be misunderstood because it's happened to us so many times. And, and the reason I bring this up today is because I believe that this seventh commandment is the mi most misunderstood commandment out of all of them. Uh, sometimes when we read the commandments, we miss, uh, we miss the intent or we misunderstand what God is actually saying. This seventh commandment is the most 
misunderstood. And sometimes it can seem out of place, especially if you look at the list of all the commandments. You know, don't have any other God before God. Don't have any idols. And, and we go down the list, you know, and, and don't murder and all these other things. And we're like, yeah, 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 don't, 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 don't. And when we get to this one, it says do not commit adultery. Sometimes we misunderstand it. And we get this idea uh, that, that God hates sex. And that's not the case at all. But we fall into the trap of thinking that God hates sex. It's kind of like when you were describing sex to your kids, if you're parents and, and you had those kids and they got to a certain age and you had to sit them down and have the talk, you know what I mean? And you're having that talk and you're explaining like the mechanics of sexual intercourse to your kids. And uh, I don't think I've ever heard a parent talk about this and say that their kid walked away skipping or excited. No, because every kid has the exact same response at that age, don't they? They're like, ooh, gross nasty like why would you even tell me this stuff and i think so often when we're talking about don't commit adultery that we think that god has that same response to sex but i want you to know that god is not anti-sex and if you think that god hates sex explain this proverbs chapter 5 let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you rejoice in the wife of your youth she is a loving dear a graceful doe let her breasts satisfy you always May you always be captivated by her love. Uh, yes, I did just read that in church. It's in the Bible. It's okay. But explain that. I mean, if God hates sex, why would he write something like this? Or why would he write the whole book of Song of Solomon? A lot of the Bible is about how to enjoy sex in the context, listen to me, of marriage. God is saying through this seventh commandment, he's saying only have sex inside the covenant of marriage. See, he, he wrote all through Scripture and gave us plenty of instruction how to enjoy this amazing gift that he's given us, but so often we miss it. And this is what that seventh commandment is about. It's really, it has everything to do with what God is for and not so much about what he's against. Well, you might be saying, well, why would he restrict it so much? I mean, just marriage? And he cuts out all of this, and he just gives us one lane. Like, within this one lane, it's okay, but everything else, it's out. Why would he restrict it that much? And I would say, because God knows what's best for us. He designed it. He created it. God has a plan for sex. And it's this commandment that just says, look, if you follow my design, you're going to experience the most amazing, incredible gift with your spouse that you've ever been given. But if you violate it, it's going to backfire on you. Why? Well, I, I like what Tim Keller says. He says sex is the most delightful and the most dangerous of all human capacities. I think he's exactly right. When we were talking on this subject to teens years ago, we would always liken sex to fire. In the right context, it's, it's perfect. It's amazing. But outside, it destroys. And we would say in the right context, it can bring warmth, it can bring comfort, it can purify. But if it's in the wrong context, it can actually burn, or it can scar, or it can destroy. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about, because you've been there and done that. Um, I don't think I have to spend a lot of time on adultery today uh, proving to you that it can destroy because I think if you're not in that situation, you know of somebody who is. And so instead of talking about how harmful adultery can be and why God says do not commit adultery, what I want to do is I want to talk to us about how not to violate the seventh commandment. 
And so today I want to give you three myths about sex in hopes that we can, we can eliminate these myths from our lives, we can throw them out, and then we can focus on, on really the way God has designed this thing that, that we're supposed to enjoy within the context of marriage, sex. And so the first myth that I want to give you about sex today is, number one, uh, the more freedom I have, the happier I am. We're told this about sex all the time. We think that we can just go out and sleep with whoever or however many people, and, and you'll be happy. You, you got to try them out first before you marry them, right? You got to make sure you're compatible. Well, let me ask you a question. We have more sexual freedom today in our society than we ever have before. Are we any happier? Are we enjoying it anymore? No, no, and some of you know that. Like some of you, you've expressed your sexual freedom. Are you freer today? No. Some of you have broken relationships or child support or you're not getting to see your kids nearly as much before. You don't have freedom. You've got the opposite. It's become restrictive. The more freedom I have, the happier I am. That's a myth. The second myth about sex comes from this little phrase that we're taught in just about every song, just about every Hallmark movie. Uh, We're told to follow our heart. Just follow your heart and everything will be okay. The second myth is actually the myth of the desires of my heart reveal the direction I should go. Uh, A couple years ago in the Huffington Post, there was an article that was written, and I'm not going to give you her name. You can look it up if you want, but uh, she's a doctor of psychology. And you would think, as a doctor, she would know exactly what she's talking about. I mean, she's studied. She's an expert. And she writes this article about 10 reasons to follow your heart. And in this, she writes, when you follow your heart, you cease having regrets. That is so backwards from my own experience. She goes on to write, You learn to trust your instincts and know that if you listen to your heart, it'll guide you in the right direction. And then she says this, there is no greater truth than when you follow your heart, you cease to have regrets. I read that and I thought, that is the stupidest, dumbest advice I've ever heard of in my life. I could get better advice from a second grader. This is ridiculous. It's amazing. Just follow your heart, no regrets. I mean, the desire of my heart is to to go to Five Guys Burgers and Fries and chow down on a triple meat with chili and then have all the fries I want to eat. And and if I went to my physical doctor, he'd say, what are you, an idiot? And I'd say, well, doctor, that's the desire of my heart. That's what I want. He'd say, well, keep doing it and your heart's going to stop. That's what he would say. See, the truth is freedom is found in God's design, not in our desires. It's the way we were created. We're not supposed to follow our desires because many times our desires are sinful. We have evil desires. And many times you could say that the opposite is actually true. You follow your heart, it's going to get you into trouble. The desires of my heart reveal the direction I should go. Throw that myth out. And then the third myth that I would give you this morning is that when it comes to sex, it's no big deal. Sex is just physical. Man, I hear this one all the time, especially from young people. It's just physical. It's not a big deal. And I want to scream and go, are you kidding me? You know that's not true. We keep saying it, but everyone knows in their heart of hearts it's not true. And and to prove it, let let me tell you this. If we thought that that was true, that it was just physical, then we would view women who were hit by their husband or boyfriend the same as women who were raped. And we don't. 
instinctively, we know there's a big difference between those two. Uh, Jesus, when he was talking about a husband and wife coming together and, and having sex, he actually used a word in Matthew chapter 19 that means glue. Like it's more than physical. There's something that happens on a spiritual level, on an emotional level, on a mental level that you can't deny. This is why you can go on a date with somebody and if you just give them a hug and a kiss and you go home, you wake up the next morning without regret. But if you go to bed together, there's regret, there's guilt, there's shame that comes with that. Why? Because sex is more than physical it's body, it's mind, it's soul. It's, it's what Genesis referred to as one flesh. Jesus says, look, I know that you talked about the seventh commandment, about not committing adultery, but then in Matthew chapter five, he actually raises the bar. He said, you heard the command that says you must not commit adultery, but I say, watch this, he raises the bar on us. Anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, let me read that again. I'm going to emphasize a few words. But I say to you, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Did you notice that adultery is preceded by lust and lust is preceded by a look? I mean, I... I look at this and I go, Jesus, are you serious? Like, if I look at a woman, if I just notice that somebody is beautiful or, or gorgeous, that, I mean, I'm in sin, I'm lusting already, is that, is that what that means? No, that's not what that means. See, the word that Jesus uses here is actually this word that means to continue to look or to look longingly. It's this, this long, extended gazing that we do, and we know when we're doing it. We definitely know. Uh, John Maxwell had a great definition for lust. This is what he did. This is how he said it. Lust is a thought that I entertain, cherish, or hold on to, that if I did what I was thinking, it would clearly be sin. It's this thing that I hang on to, and if I, if I did it, if I was just thinking about it, but if I did it, it would clearly be sin. See, lust comes in many forms. It can be pornography, it can be romance novels, it can be social media, it can be just daydreaming about the person in the cubicle next to you. Lust comes in many different forms, and we know this. And if we know that lust starts with a look, and then the battle starts to occur in the mind, then what we need to do is we need to draw the line back further. This is what Jesus was talking about. You want to stay away from adultery? Then draw the battle lines back further because if you get close to the battle lines, the, the heat of the battle is so hot at that point, it's hard to back away. So draw the line further back. And, and when we talk about this so often, especially with men, I'm amazed at how many guys just flirt with it. They get right up to the line. They see how close they can get. And I'm like, you need to back away from that. I got it. I can handle it. And then they come to us later and they're like, hey, I was tempted or, or I struggled or I fell to this. And we're like, of course you did. You should have drawn the, the battle lines back here. Which is why we always say it this way. Why would you resist a temptation tomorrow you can eliminate today? See, if you know where your weakness is, why not address it today? Draw the battle lines further back so that you're not sucked into it. You want to keep from violating the seventh commandment. Never even get close to it. Stay way back away from it. Now, why don't we take this advice? Because I think instinctively we know this. Why wouldn't we take this advice, especially as men? 
You know why? Because we think that we're stronger than what we are. Or we know we're weak, but we think that we should be stronger. And so we struggle with that. We read things like James chapter 4, verse 7. It says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. And we're like, yeah, resist. I can do that. All I have to do next time is I just have to resist. And, and do you realize what's happening in that moment is we're putting that on us. Like it's on our own strength. That's how we resist the devil. And then he flees from us. But see, I kind of cheated a little bit because I didn't give you the whole verse. This is the first, first part of that verse. It says, so humble yourselves before God. Humble yourselves before God, then resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Uh, the NIV translation actually says, submit yourself to God. See, if we were to humble ourselves before God, if we would get on our knees, if we would say, look, I can't do this on my own, if we admitted that we needed some help, then we would be able to eliminate temptations today so that we wouldn't have to battle them tomorrow. We would do a better job of not continuing to look at things and letting our minds wander and linger on things that we shouldn't be. And if we were able to do that, then we would do a better job of avoiding situations that would lead us into adultery. And if we could obey that seventh commandment, then we would be able to protect our marriages and follow this amazing design that God has for sex. See, God doesn't hate sex. He created it. He designed it. That's why he gave us the seventh commandment. I'm excited to be up here for the third week in a row talking to you guys about one of the commandments. Uh, and if you guys want to go ahead and open up your Bibles, we are talking about the eighth commandment this morning, uh, or I am at least. Um, and it's a very interesting commandment. It's got some different uh, life to it. It's got some different... Uh, Words in it, it's, it's a very complex, long commandment, if I can just say it that way. Uh, so go ahead and open up to page 51. So it reads just like this. <clears throat> you must not steal. Okay, not as long as I thought. Uh, this commandment is, is one of those commandments that originally seems very straightforward. Don't steal. <laughs> if it doesn't belong to you, don't take it. But I think that there's a whole lot more just underneath the surface to this commandment. Um, now, a lot of people actually have debate, uh, and by a lot of people I mean different uh, sects of Christianity from uh, Catholicism to Protestantism to Lutherans to even the Jewish people. They all have a different Eighth Commandment listed. And in fact, each of the commandments tend to end up in a different spot. But generally, this is a commandment that ends up somewhere in there but it seems like everybody disagrees on what it says specifically and where to put it in the list. Uh, but as we talk about it this morning, one thing I want to emphasize to you guys is that it's always in every list of Ten Commandments. It is always included in some manner in the Ten Commandments. So regardless of where it is, regardless of where it is, this is an important commandment. But uh, one thing I also want to ask is, uh, does, does anybody else think that this is like the one commandment that looks really cool to break? Anyone? Is it just me? I'm, I mean, like the Ocean's Eleven movies, right? Nobody watched those movies and was like, yeah, I don't want to steal. Like, all of us walked out of the movie theaters going, I could do that. We could get a crew together, Right? 
The Now You See Me movies, I don't even know how they did some of those things, but I want to do them all, right? Or, I mean, even going back to my childhood, I remember running around pretending I was a little red fox in a Robin Hood getup because I just watched that Disney movie, right? I, we kind of idolize or we kind of glamorize stealing in today's day and age. And it's only gotten better, the shows have gotten better, but uh, it only makes people want to do it a little bit more. But for today, we are talking about why we shouldn't steal. If you want to talk about the right and wrong and where that's like stealing from the rich to give to the poor, we can talk about that all afterwards. But what we do know is a commandment that everybody agrees on somewhere in there is we should not steal, thou shalt not steal. So uh, I want to read a quote from billygram.org. Um, I know it sounds weird, but it actually says what I'd love to tell you guys about this morning in a much more concise manner. So uh, let me go ahead and read this with you guys. <clears throat> Stealing is a very serious issue when it comes to the heart of, a, of loving God. Anyone who steals violates the sanctity of God's divine order and design for every individual person. While murder violates the sanctity of life itself, stealing violates the sanctity of of how we live out the life he has given us. I prefer to understand thou shalt not steal as God ordering us to never forget his gracious provision for us. The Bible tells us repeatedly that our heavenly father knows everything about us, even numbering the hairs on our head. And he cares about us, he cares for us in the most intimate way. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, says Psalms 23.1. Therefore, if our Father commands us not to steal, the implication is obvious. It is if he says, my child, have, you have no need whatsoever to take anything that is not yours. I have made you just the way you are. I have given you everything necessary for your life. Live, learn, grow, strive, and reach for the gold, but never reach for what is not your own. You see, I think at the heart of this commandment is God asking us to trust in his provision. It's a heart issue. It's a posture of our heart that we have to consider if we are in a state to where we steal. Simply put, this command at its heart is about trusting God to provide what we need. Now, I want to definitely jump into what that means, but before I do fully, I'd love to explain what stealing is. I know that some of you just looked at me like, we, we know what stealing is, but there's a lot more encompassed in stealing in this one commandment that we sometimes understand. Uh, so there are some obvious ones I'm going to answer, and we'll just get to say duh to those, but then there's a couple that I want to go into a little more in depth. So, really, there are four categories that I found that we should not steal in, right? The first one is human beings, right? We kind of understand that. And actually, this one is important because this is the closest how the Jewish people understand this commandment. They actually translate it as kidnapping. We should not kidnap. Do you guys know that sex slave trade across the world is higher than it ever has been before? That slavery is still very much alive and well in today's world. And that even in America, kidnapping is, is prevalent. We need to be vigilant on our side, not just because we might kidnap somebody. I imagine the people in here may not be uh, in that boat. 
but to make sure that nothing is going wrong on our watch, that we're not allowing things to happen without us noticing. And the first step of that is, is definitely awareness. The second thing that we shouldn't take is property. Now, this is the obvious one, right? We shouldn't steal things that belong to other people, right? Uh, we get that one. And, but this is the one that really shows our heart and not trusting God for provision. The third thing is actually, I kind of I listed them all together. It's reputation, dignity, and trust. We shouldn't steal any of those things. So for reputation would be something like stealing a person's good name. Whether it's through slander or gossip or trash talk or talking behind their back, when we cut somebody's name down, it is near impossible for them, unless they're in middle and high school, uh, it is near impossible for them to regain that name. And even in high school, this is a very hurtful thing to do. Uh, Shakespeare put it like this in his play Othello. Who steals my purse steals trash. Tis something, nothing, t'was mine than his. But he who filches my good name robs me of that which enriches him not and makes me poor indeed. Now, this is actually, like I said, in the play Othello, and it's said by Desmona uh, right before she's actually murdered because her good name is trashed. We have to be careful when we hurt other people with our words. I talked on this a few weeks ago. Our words have power. So that is the reputation side of it. Dignity is even more personal, right? Some of us, like one of the most precious things we have is our dignity. In fact, I'd argue that everybody values their dignity highly. But mainly, to steal somebody's dignity is to publicly humiliate them. And I don't want to get into how to do that. I don't want to give you guys any ideas. Um, but it can do permanent damage, right? This is something that stays with them. These are words that are said or actions that are done that will haunt them for the rest of their life because it's stained, because the reputation has taken a hit. The final thing is stealing somebody's trust. And this one can be summed up in a, in a way that's a little bit like selling something, right? To steal someone's trust is to sell them something without fully telling them the story behind it. Uh, a good example might be uh, if you're a realtor and you're trying to sell a house and you just decide to not mention the fact that the foundation is coming apart, right? Uh, another good way is if you're a car salesman, um, a good one, but instead you decide to sell a car knowing that the transmission is about seven miles from being completely destroyed, just far enough away from your lot that you don't have to deal with it, right? We, we may not do this as much because not all of us are realtors or car salesmen, but what we do often is we exploit people in their areas of insecurity in order for us to gain something from them, whether that be them doing something for us, whether that be a sexual favor of some kind, or whether that be just work. Exploiting people in any way is kind of destroying their trust. The final thing that we put on here is intellectual property. This is something that has always been around, right? We've always had plagiarism around. But even more so in the digital age, it's becoming more prevalent with people stealing movies, stealing video games, stealing copyright licenses, stealing software, stealing everything. 
And, and some of you guys just flinched because you're like, oh, I was really hoping he didn't mention that. It's hard because this is stealing as well. And this is something that I knew I had to bring up because I didn't think about that one. I have to find a new way to get movies. I'm just kidding. Netflix is pretty good now. Uh, <laughs> now that we've covered just all the different kinds of areas where we steal oftentimes, I want to jump back to what we originally said. And I'm curious to know if you guys see this statement the same way that I see it. Even though stealing is such a broad concept, this statement seems to sum it all up. Regardless of the type of theft that we commit, it all comes back to us not relying on God. And here's how I know. Uh, this last year at CIY, we had a speaker who did a really uh, great analogy. He, he talked about how an idol is anything that we look to for something God should provide. Anything that we look to for something God should provide. So uh, if we look to uh, social media to bring us joy, to bring us happiness, that's an idol, right? Back in the day, they actually had physical idols that they would pray to and that they would want wealth from, they'd want fertility from, they'd want all these different things from. But today, those idols look different. A lot of people seek uh, happiness in Fortnite if they're 12 and under. A lot of people seek happiness in confirmation from their friends, right? A lot of people seek security and how much they make at work. A lot of people seek friendship, companionship from their cell phone, right? Happiness, joy, peace, provision, and so on. All of these things that we tend to want, desire, are all things that we can, in some manner, steal. They're all things that, that we don't trust God to provide for us, so we find it necessary to steal. And it will all look different, right? It, every aspect can look different. But what I'd love to point you guys to is what we should do. I don't want to fill in too many gaps. I want you guys understanding this on your own level with, with your own life. But what I would love for you guys to do is go ahead and flip over to Ephesians chapter 4. And as you're going there, I want to try to explain just a little something. This commandment is in the scripture, is in the Bible, because of a heart condition that we have. That is sin, right? This is all about the posture of our heart. Do we trust God to provide or do we not? Do we accept that God will provide for us and thus we don't have to worry? Or are we really worried about that and thus we need to try to secure it for ourselves? Now, Ephesians chapter 4 is a phenomenal chapter in the Bible and is so enlightening in many ways. And I encourage you guys highly to read it on your own soon. But I want to draw your attention to verse 28 specifically. Verse 28 says this, If you are a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good, hard work, and then give generously to others in need. Can I just say I'm so thankful for a God who understands that we can't just stop sinning sometimes. That instead, we have to stop sinning and we have to replace it. Yet every one of us can think of a time where we've tried to stop doing something. 
for instance, uh, for me, a couple weeks ago, it was stop eating chips on the couch. My dog was getting fat, my wife was getting frustrated, and my daughter was learning bad habits. It was kind of an all-around bad deal for me. Now, I decided that I wasn't going to eat chips on the couch anymore. But the next night, I found myself on the couch watching TV with chips in my lap. And I asked myself, how did it come to this as I continued to eat them anyway? And I realized that this verse actually has real-life application to almost everything. You see, if we want to stop doing something, we can't just not do it and leave the space empty and expect it to not happen anymore. We have to fill that space where that negative thing was happening with something positive in the future. So in the case of the thief, quit stealing. If you've got sleight of hand technique, if you've got good hands that allow you to steal, man, put them to good work. Make them work hard. Create something amazing. And then... Use that to help provide for the poor. Chapter 4 goes through lots of different examples of how we as humans sin, and we need to put those sins to good use for God's kingdom. Now, again, I appreciate that we have a God that doesn't just expect us to stop doing something because he said so. He expects us to stop doing something and instead turn to do something different. He knows our hearts. He knows you. He put you together. Don't forget that. And he knows the struggles that you're going to have. But those struggles all come with things that can be positively used as well. Uh, For instance, there was a man, well, let me do this. I want you guys to finish this statement for me, okay? I I need to apologize ahead of time. Uh, I am a little tone deaf. So I know it's a jingle. You won't have to listen to it that long. But I'd love for you guys to finish what I'm about to say, okay? You guys agree? It's a little bit later in the afternoon. Hopefully you got some cake on the way in the door. We're a little bit awake. So please don't make me sing it twice like first service did because I almost broke the speakers. All right? Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A bunch of zombies, man. Sound great. You sound great. We had, she worked hard over there. She was all about it. Um, You see, Zacchaeus was a man who came face to face with Jesus. Zacchaeus had made a reputation for himself that he was a tax collector and a thief. He extorted people, he stole money, and he made it hard for the Jewish people, and there was nothing they could do about it because he was under Roman protection. Now, the thing is, Zacchaeus He came face to face with Jesus. And after his confrontation, after Jesus came to his house and had lunch with him, something incredible happened. Zacchaeus decided on true repentance. And more than that, Zacchaeus decided that he was going to trust God. He decided that he was going to pay anyone he owed money to back four times what he owed And on top of that, he was going to cut his property in half and sell everything on one half to the poor. Not sell it to the poor, give it to the poor, excuse me. Man, that's not like a trusting God sort of thing. That's a like running leap off a cliff without a safety net into Jesus' arms to see if he catches you. And I feel like we sometimes do this, where we're, okay, Jesus, I'll 
trust you a little bit, but I'm going to keep this foot on safety. I'm going to keep this foot on what I know, on what I'm good at, on what, what brings me a little bit of joy and a little bit of pleasure. When instead, if we really want to see God work and do amazing things in our life, what we need to do is do exactly what Zacchaeus did. Whether we're a thief or not, we need to run full blast, jumping without a safety net into, into Christ's arms. He chose a better way, is what Zacchaeus did. He chose that he was going to trust God. And because of that, he was able to do what he did. Now, Zacchaeus, the thief, is, is one thing. I don't know that all of us are thieves, and I don't expect all of us are. I don't expect that there's no thieves. But what I want you guys to understand is regardless of where you sit, we all struggle with something. We all want a better way of life. We all want to see God work in our life. And so sometimes we have to make the choice. Are we going to choose to try and rely on ourselves? Meaning, are we going to try to choose to chase happiness ourselves, joy ourselves, provision ourselves, security ourselves? And by the way, that, that means that we're distrusting God, that we're trying to secure our own future and everything that he offers us. Or are we going to run full force at the edge of security and jump straight into Jesus' arms without that safety net to really see him catch us? That's my challenge to you guys this week. As you guys in your small groups, as you in your life groups, read the story of Zacchaeus, really understand what Ephesians chapter 4 tells us. Because the truth is, with or without the sin of theft, our idols are stealing from God. The desire for whatever it is. So I would submit to you guys that each and every one of us are thieves. But whatever that sin is, we need to trust God to bring happiness and joy to our life. Christ, you are good. And we are so not sometimes. We're blessed that you love us. Jesus, I pray that as we go about this week, we're able to recognize that we need to jump into your arms, to trust in your provision, to trust in your light and your goodness. God, please give us the confidence to run full force to you and leave the little spit of security and idols that we have behind. God, may all the glory and honor go to your precious name. Amen. Thanks for joining us here at Mountain View Fellowship. We'd love the chance to meet you in person. We gather each Sunday at 9 and 1045 a.m. at 1955 Headlight Road in Strasburg, Colorado. If you aren't able to join us in person, we'll meet you right back here next week. God bless. Thank you.